Welcome to Flip the Script, your go-to podcast about health disparities. My name is Max. My guest today is Dr. Sakina Abedin. She is a pediatrician and a historian of science and medicine here at Yale University. I'll let her tell us a little bit more about herself. So I'm a primary care pediatrician. I see patients um, at the St. Raphael campus of the Elmin Haven Hospital. And I'm also a lecturer in the history department here. And I teach classes. Um, one class is called Healthcare for the Urban Poor, which is really sort of a history of the bottom tier of our healthcare system. And the other class um, is called Race and Disease in American Medicine, which is about the long history of the sort of mutual construction of race and disease uh, in the United States. Interesting. So how did you get into studying these topics? So I think that um, I really developed an interest in, um, in thinking about New Haven and in thinking about sort of the history of the Academic Medical Center when I first came to Yale as a Robert Wood Johnson clinical scholar. Um, and that the, first, the, the year that I came was the first year that the program was really involved in doing community-based research. Mm -hmm. And the kinds of engagement that we had with what people in the medical center refer to as the community really left me with a lot of questions, both about why things in New Haven look the way they do, um, why medicine um, is practiced the way that it is, why these ideas about um, community research kind of exist the way that they do. And um, I decided to do a PhD in the history of science and medicine, um, which I did here at Yale. And then really in teaching this class on, um, on healthcare for the urban poor, uh, one of the things that we do in the class is go into the archives of both the medical school and the hospital and the university and, um, and look at this sort of big history that we're talking about in a really local way. And so, and, and through that, I've become really interested in you know, the history of the hospital and the medical school and what that means in relationship to the people who live around it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really cool. Being a medical student myself, we often talk about health disparities kind of in a vacuum. Um, you know, like it, we look at sort of national statistics, but we basically are studying medicine in a space where these very disparities are pretty palpable. Um, so like the hospital and the medical school are located sort of at the nexus of like the hill and then downtown New Haven, which are like kind of different in many ways. So I'm just curious, like what is the relationship that the hospital has had with the hill, which is a primarily African-American neighborhood here over the past year, of, at least based on what you've studied? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, you know, one of the questions that kind of relates to what you were just saying is that. You know, why is it that you often have the people in the system that have the least experience taking care of the patients, you know, that are the most complex or have the greatest needs? Um, and so, you know, the answer to that question really goes very far back when you're thinking about an academic, an academic medical center and its relationship to the people who live around it. And, um, and so one of the, the, the interesting ways in which you can see how this sort of big picture history relates to the local is in thinking about things like the Flexner Report, which everyone talks about as this, you know, bringing about a big shift um, in 1910 in the way that um, medical education was done. And really the Flexner Report kind of reflected changes that had been ongoing for some time and it really kind of solidified those changes. So it didn't um, put a lot of things into motion. But one of the big things that um, the Flexner Report did was it uh, sort of stated the importance of having clinical material and having a sort of clinical component of medical education. And so what that meant is that for a medical school then to be successful and to continue to exist, they needed to have some material or to provide a sort of clinical experience for medical students. So in New Haven, what that meant 
is that for a long time, the medical school had a relationship with the dispensary, which was the free clinic um, that was in New Haven. Um, and that actually moved to Cedar Street to be closer to the hospital before the medical school did. Mm -hmm. And then um, there's this long history of sort of bargaining between the medical school and the hospital in terms of, um, you know, medical school professors being allowed to see patients in the hospital and who should have privileges and who should be allowed to bring students to see what patients and that kind of thing. And then finally, actually, in some ways aided by money that was provided by the, um, the General Education Board, which is part of the Rockefeller Foundation, after the Flexner Report, finally Yale um, Medical School and the hospital kind of reached an agreement. And this meant that, um, that physicians uh, who were community physicians could no longer have privileges at the hospital. It would be only sort of the right of physicians who were at the medical school so that they could bring in their students to see patients there, at least during the academic year. And so that why the medical school is where it is, uh, you know, it moved um, into the neighborhood to be close to the hospital um, is a large part because of the need to have clinical material in order for, you know, uh, medical students really to learn medicine on. Um, so that, um, and that, you know, the, re the hospital actually started as um, a place where, which really was providing care for indigent patients. And so, you know, first you have the hospital and then the dispensary moving there and then the medical school kind mm -hmm. of coming in as well. And so how has that relationship, you know, in terms of the people living in that neighborhood, the hospital and the medical school evolved? So I think that, you know, you have the, so what, once you have that sort of structure, the academic medical center kind of in place, then you automatically have this kind of conflict of interests, right? So that, that what the medical school wants is to have enough patients in order to train their, um, their students, but they also, you know, at the same time kind of have a bottom line, right, that they need to, to meet. And that's the interest of the hospital as well. So there's always this tension between um, wanting to provide some care for patients, mostly indigent patients, who can serve as you know, teaching material, and then also wanting to provide care to paying patients too, so that people who can um, you know, have, uh, you know, as we sort of move through the 20th century, people who have health insurance who are gonna bring money into the hospital. And actually, you know, um, you know, this kind of tension is a really long standing one, um, especially at Yale New Haven Hospital. But th there are a lot of really interesting examples of times when, um, when the hospital's interest in terms of bringing in paying patients was really directly in conflict with the interests of people living in the neighborhood surrounding the hospital. So one of the things that people like to talk about is, you know, New Haven as a city of, of urban renewal and development and the, the building of the Oak Street Connector in the late 1950s, um, which was, you know, was funded in part by national money, but the, the medical school was actually really interested in building the connector because it would provide a way for these paying patients who were living you know, in the shoreline or suburbs to come in and be able to go to the, to the hospital. And so what the connector did was it cleared the Oak Street neighborhood, which is right sort of adjacent to the medical school um, and created the way uh, for this connector that would connect, you know, the highway and, um, and the medical school. For the medical school, the building of that connector and the clearing of that neighborhood actually served two purposes. So, you know, one is what I was just talking about in terms of bringing in pay, paying patients, but the other was this idea that, you know, you wanted the medical school and the area surrounding it to, um, to kind of look a certain way, right? So that by clearing this neighborhood, that maybe it kind of raised the, the, um, the, the status of the medical center, mm -hmm. um, you know, by having it in a neighborhood where, you know, all of these, um, all of this housing was raised and then, you know, 
buildings kind of according to this sort of urban development plan where right and what i guess would be modern words quote-unquote gentrification of the surrounding area of the medical center and so then how does the neighborhood or how do the people who live around and through this era react to this so i mean people there were a lot of people who were relocated and this um so there were people who moved into the into the hill neighborhood from the oak street neighborhood and basically this put a huge strain on housing on um on the ability of people to kind of you know find jobs who were living in that neighborhood because now all of a sudden you have this whole new group of people moving in um, and the other impact actually is just the physical sort of isolation by creating this connector. Basically, you separated the Hill um, community, which is south of the medical center, from kind of downtown New Haven. And so there were multiple ways in which the connector, which benefited the medical school and the hospital and, and the university in many ways, really had a negative impact on people who lived in the community around um, the hospital. Right. It's kind of made it a lot more difficult to get from say like Congress Street to Broadway where there's a there are a lot of like attractions or stores or what whatever else are sort of like the prize entertainment for those who live within the walls of Yale University. Yeah, and it's very interesting because even, you know, in the time since I've been here now, um, the medical school is sort of constructing itself as a victim of the of a, you know the construction of this uh, connector, and so now there are these efforts to really connect the medical school back to downtown and to make this you know more walkable and to to um, create connections between these things. So, you know what the medical school is being connected to actually looks really different from you know what it was at the time of the you know the connector was built, and so it's really not undoing anything. It's just actually creating an additional sort of layer on top of um, creating these kinds of different areas within the in the city. That's right, because the Oak Street connector has been deemed kind of unsafe, right, for like pedestrians around. That's heavy. (laughs) Um, And so given the nature, the sort of like conflicting nature of, say, you you know, having the highway that literally brings wealthy paying patients from the different parts of like rich towns in Connecticut to New Haven because we have this big academic medical center, and also in the sort of backdrop of the hospital is a predominantly black community um, that often are, you know, whose inhabitants end up being also patients at the hospital. Like, how does that conflict evolve over time um, since the construction of the Oak Street Canal? Yeah, connector. Connector, yes. Yeah, so I think it's, you know, the 1960s are a really interesting time in New Haven, particularly in the history of the hospital and um, its relationship to the community. So on the one hand, you have um, the hospital begin, you know, before the implementation of, of Medicaid, um, which, you know, provides uh, health insurance uh, for poor people in the United States. Um, and that was in 1965. There really is all of this um, kind of back and forth that's going on. So the, the city will pay for the, the health care of patients who are deemed indigent, mm-hmm. right? So that if those patients come into the hospital, then the city will foot the bill. But if there's a patient who's medically indigent, who's not technically indigent, but their bills are so high such that they actually can't afford to pay them, then there was a big question mark of who is going to be responsible for the care of these patients. So there was a lot of fighting that was going on back and forth between the hospital and the city about whose responsibility um, you know, who, who should have to pay for the care of these patients. And so those patients were actually seen as being really undesirable. Medicaid kind of slowly shifted things a little bit, right, that by providing some 
um, often you know, sort of source of revenue for the hospital and taking care of those patients. But at the same time that the hospital was really griping about um, and you know, trying to figure out what to do about the care of these medically indigent patients, they're making all of these proposals you know, for $20 million or $40 million to really redevelop the area um, around, uh, around the medical school. So um, <clears throat> another, you know, another piece of the history that you don't hear that much about is about the community activism that you know, was going on, particularly in the Hill neighborhood um, in this time period. You know, when I came here um, and you know, was learning about community-based participatory research, it was sort of framed as this way of giving voice to people who hadn't had a voice before. Um, and yet there's this really long history of, of activism in New Haven, particularly activism around healthcare. Um, and so in any case, you, you know, you um, while you know, the decision to build the Oak Street connector um, really wasn't made with a lot of community input, then you know, sort of after that period of time, um, there was a lot more community activism you know, from, coming from the Hill neighborhood. So um, at one point in the 1960s, the hospital wanted to actually build a ring road around the hospital. So a road that would completely surround uh, the hospital and, um, and really make it more accessible to people who are coming from the outside. Um, and they wanted to kind of expand into the Hill neighborhood. And so mm -hmm. they had plans you know, to buy up um, you know, certain lots and to convert those things into housing and parking lots and stuff like that. Um, and people in the neighborhood organized and they actually were able to stop this um, from happening. Uh, and, you know, there were other, I mean, there were tons of other concerns sort of, you know, that people were raising in the 1960s, you know, why is it that, um, that the hospital is interested only in having, you know, patients as clinical material? Why is, you know, why is it so hard for people who live right here next to this hospital to really get good care at the hospital? Um, there was actually <clears throat> an expose that was done um, by uh, a physician and a sociologist at the hospital in 1968, where they went and they they really looked at how um, patients were being cared for in the hospital and how the sort of different um, classes of patients were receiving different kinds of care. So there were ward patients who were deemed as you know good teaching subjects, and then there were you know there were paying patients who were treated very differently um, and had a very different experience in the hospital. Um, the people in the neighborhood were literally asking questions about you know why the only black people at the hospital were you know, working the most menial jobs, why there were no black doctors, you know, why it was so hard for black patients to get care. So, you know, there were a lot of questions being raised about what really the role of the medical center was going to be in terms of improving the health of the community. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you know, in the university itself, you have a lot of students who are now pushing for more involvement, for more sort of access to trying to solve you know, problems in the city of New Haven, and then there are these real questions about, um, about, you know, what that should look like. And so you hear this, and, and I feel like this, you know, conversation is really still going on now. But, you know, in terms of the university, um, so the, the, the president of Yale um, in the late 1960s gave a speech, it was uh, Kingman Brewster, and he talks about how you know, the university is really a place of learning. You have all of these amazing people who are doing this, um, you know, really important work that has the potential to make a difference. And so is that what the university should be focused on? Or should the university be trying to sort of solve the problems of the city of New Haven? And, you know, is there a middle ground? What does that look like? And, you know, how do you um, account for the expertise of the university? And how do you sort of 
think about what the university sort of owes to the community or the people who live around it. And you have the same kind of thing going on at the medical school, right? That we have this opportunity to provide this really specialized care to people who um, maybe are coming from other places and who really need it and, you know, also the subtexts can pay for it. Um, and then what is our obligation to provide care for, you know, the people who actually live in, right here. In, right, yes, in proximity to the hospital. Right. So I want to fast forward to today. Um, so yeah, I'm a medical student and something that was brought to my attention not super long ago was that oftentimes a lot of the patients that we get to see, you know, they're the patients that are taken care of primarily by residents who are supervised by attendings. Um, that's sort of like they're, you know, private patient versus public. So by public, I mean Medicare, Medicaid patients. Um, it appears to us sometimes as trainees that there's still a little bit of a distinction in terms of like where this patient will go. Like, you know, is this patient going to be like taken care of by that service versus this service? Um, how do you think that sort of plays out in terms of the way maybe patients or families, you know, react or, you know, interact with us given those existing kind of shields you know, across the different, basically different insurance status. Yeah, I mean, I think that that it's you know when you sort of get plopped down in a place as a medical student, that um, so much of what you do is sort of, is really steeped in this history, right? Mm -hmm. That that you may not know what was going on here ten or fifteen years ago, but chances are you know your patients do, and that they have some experience or some memory of what it means to um, you know to receive care in a particular place. So when I first started seeing patients, you know, it was St. Raphael's Hospital, and um, and there really a lot of times was a sense that patients came there because they wanted to be seen at a place that was not Yale. And when the merger happened, a lot of patients expressed concerns about what that was going to mean for them and what um, you know because they had this idea of a place of Yale as being a place that didn't necessarily care about the care of patients who you know, who live nearby or the care of poor patients, whereas they thought, you know, of St. Raphael's maybe in a different way. Um, and so, so I do think that that history for sure impacts the way that people look at, you know, the, the hospital and the medical center and think about the care that they're being, you know, provided. Mm -hmm. So in this current climate, you know, there are elections coming up. Um, and I'm not asking you to like take a side among the many candidates who are pushing this idea, but not taking into consideration the sort of rate at which Medicare and Medicaid reimburse hospitals. Do you think that a sort of national insurance plan would potentially address this semi-segregated system of care that we still have, even though it's not sort of like etched into paper per se? Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, this comes up actually over and over again in some ways. The class that I teach about healthcare for the urban poor is <clears throat> really a history of all of these kind of missed opportunities and all of these chances where, like, you know, a lot of attention was turned to healthcare and it might have happened or it came close to happening. And it really does seem to me that um, it, that the a, a big part of the problem sort of within the system, especially, you know, when you're talking about the care of these patients, is the ways in which we really don't, we don't have a safety net, right? Mm -hmm. The safety net, the way that it exists is, is just, it's so piecemeal and so kind of hodgepodge that 
that to me it seems like universal health insurance would solve a lot of these problems. Um, of course, you know, there are always, you know, I mean, depending on how the system looks, you know, there are opportunities to buy into, you know, different health insurance or to pay if you have the money to see a doctor. And so that there always will be multiple tiers. I don't think that you can escape that. But I think that, you know, being able to provide sort of basic good care for everyone, I mean, it, it, that just seems so basic and important and, and such an important starting point, I think, for mm -hmm. addressing some of these issues. Absolutely. Now, the other thing I was going to bring up is earlier you made a point about the sociologist and the physician in, I think, 1968 who mm -hmm. kind of did an ethnog of what was going on in the hospital uh, in terms of, like, you know, who has what job, who are the patients, and who are the trainees, who are the physicians. And, you know, this is something that I've observed myself is that most Black people that I've interacted with in the hospital are, you know, like patient transport, unit secretary, um, you know, the PCAs, basically the sort of more blue-collared um, jobs versus most attendings that I've had have been white. Um, I'm, you know, thinking about the relationship that the hospital has with the community and knowing that, you know, our hospital is one of the biggest employers in the city. It probably is the second biggest employer after the university. Uh, like, what do you feel or think is the role of the um, of the hospital slash the medical center in addressing some of the gaps that exist within the city and the state at large, like employment, those types of things? Yeah. So I think, I mean, so there's also a really interesting history there as well that, um, you know, so that, that in the 1960s in the period we were talking about before, um, you know, where there was this kind of back and forth between the hospital and the city about who was going to take care of of patients, you know, another big issue for the hospital was unionizing of, um, <clears throat> of workers. And the hospital was really opposed to um, unionizing of, you know, um, like the, the um, basically the cafeteria workers or the laundry workers in the hospital. And so, and, and this became something in which they tried to get the city kind of to be on their side. And this was, I mean, and, and race played a really big role, right? I mean, it, it's, it's very clearly written in these letters from um, the head of Yale New Haven Hospital to the mayor of New Haven um, in a way where it's talking about race and it's sort of framing this problem of unionization as a kind of race problem in New Haven. And so um, one, of the, one of the interesting things that happened, um, you know, with the health center movement in the 1960s, which we didn't really um, talk that much about, but the, you know, with... With, which kind of came to New Haven um, in uh, 1965 with the, um, with the founding of the Hill Health Center, mm -hmm. was this idea that the health center should provide employment opportunities to the community. So that if you, if you define health really broadly, and so that you think about, um, you know, both about how you provide healthcare, but what a healthcare institution can do for, you know, the people who live in the neighborhood around it, so, you know, things like providing jobs and, and other sorts of opportunities. It was a really different way of looking at the relationship between people working in a place providing healthcare, um, and you know, um, and you know what that could mean for a community than than the sort of traditional model um, in the hospital, especially in New Haven. And that was actually one of the big reasons why there was so much interest in the in the health center movement because there were all these training programs like to train people to be community health workers or to work within the community health center itself so that it wasn't just about 
this is a place where we can go to get better health care. This is also a place that's going to help provide jobs that, mm-hmm. and, that, and that's going to make a big um, impact on the health in the community. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think recently I read somewhere that healthcare is probably likely the fastest growing industry. And I think it makes up a fifth to a sixth of the U.S. GDP. So there, there certainly is a huge role for these many academic medical centers to uh, uh, pick up some of the, um, I guess, the slack when it comes to creating like job opportunity in the, in the communities within which they're steeped. Something else that's been brewing recently here is that the medical center is preparing to sort of consolidate all of its primary care um, clinics or resources in general uh, into one sort of centralized location over in Long Wharf. And I think Long Wharf is like the poorest neighborhood in the city. Uh, And I'm curious how that may shift relationships between say like the you know the people who get their primary care at St. Raphael's campus versus here on our York Street campus near the hill or or people who come from further places around the city I don't know whether you have any thoughts on that yeah I think so just speaking purely as a clinician um you know that that the move is is concerning I think you know I have a lot of patients who walk Um, Mm -hmm. you know, often just a block or two. And so, you know, just moving the clinic, I think it's, it's just a few miles away, but that makes the difference, right? Between being able to walk and having this sort of convenience of care and, um, and having to, you know, find transportation in order to be able to get to, um, to get to a clinic. But then also when you think about the history of these institutions, right, that, that, you know, part of what's happening in this movement is that um, the clinics are all being sort of consolidated into this consortium with the, um, with the two federally qualified health centers that are in New Haven. And so when you know the, the history of these, what were originally called community health centers, the idea was that it was healthcare that was going to be provided in a community. So we talked mm-hmm. about how these health centers were going to pr- provide jobs for the people who were living nearby. They were trying to divide health more broadly and to address not just sort of medical problems, but really what we or what people call the social determinants of health. So thinking about things like housing and um, and schools and you know food insecurity and all of those kinds of things in these health centers. But they were located um, near the people who they were meant to serve. So you know the Fairhaven Community Health Center now serves um, many people who live nearby in that community of Fairhaven. And the Hill Health Center, um, you know, is a similar sort of thing. And um, and so even the you know the Yale uh, primary care centers now have many patients who kind of live in the Hill neighborhood and are able to walk um, to their clinics. Not everybody, but but there is something um, of uh, you know a neighborhood in which these um, clinics are located, and the same is true for you know for St. Raphael's. Um, and actually, there is a whole community of refugees who's been resettled near St. Raphael's who um, like kind of live together in the same apartment buildings and all are able to walk to their appointments, which makes a big difference when, you know, um, transportation is difficult, English is maybe limited, and, um, you know, being able to walk to appointment makes a big difference. But moving all of these people and their care out to... Um, to Long Wharf really kind of disrupts this idea of the community health center, right? There is no one who lives um, in that neighborhood. There's no one who lives, I mean, it's right next to the highway. Um, There's no one who lives nearby and can walk now to their care. So it's going to be care that's provided only to people who are coming in from, from, you know, from other places and not people who are 
who are walking, which I think also limits the ability of people who are providing care there to really take that step back and think more broadly about community because it's not it's not really a community. It's just a group of, you know, it's a it's a practice that's located in a in a really urban sort of setting right next to a highway and um and there isn't a community of people who live around it and who are going to be accessing their care there. Mm-hmm. That's kind of difficult, right? So I'm, there's been a movement, as you say, of like sort of like, say, healthcare centers that kind of buy up everything around them and consolidate and then can have the leverage to say, OK, we're going to move all of XYZ services into this one location. So what has the response been from the community from that perspective? This sort of this has been an ongoing relationship and I'm curious what the you know, the people the most affected by this have been saying or responding. Yeah, there's been a, I mean a lot of advocacy work raising, you know, a variety of concerns about um, what this move would mean for these patients. And so, you know, transportation is a big thing. Um, you know, a lot of the questions that this state um, from what I understand, has asked about the the certificate of need um, that the hospital filed have had to do with transportation, and there haven't been a lot of answers about how exactly these patients are who don't have cars, um, you know, are going to get you know from where they live to the clinic. So the way the buses work in New Haven is that you know everyone has to go into downtown first and then and then come back out. So you can't go say if you live near St. Raphael's, you can't take a bus straight there. Um, to Long Wharf, you have to go into downtown New Haven, get another bus that will then take you to Long Wharf. Mm. So there are a lot of concerns about how you know complex this um, transportation issue is. What does this mean for patients with um, with disabilities? What kind of you know transportation is going to be provided um, for them? And then there are questions about you know um, uh, how patients will be charged and how that's going to work differently if this you know becomes a health center which has a sliding scale versus patients who are seen at the hospital where there's a free bed fund. Um, and you know how different services or, or that kind of thing will be for provided. So there there have been a lot of concerns about um, you know how the hospital can really address what what kinds of you know issues that this um, that this move is going is going to make. Mm-hmm. The transportation piece kind of goes back to the conflict that continues to exist between the hospital slash medical center and the city. Uh, just in terms of like what the city planning look like and so then does the city plan around the hospital or does the hospital plan around the sort of like existing infrastructure of the city like where you know there's like push and pull that's at place and I'm just I wonder how much does the hospital involve like city planning and making this move and vice versa yeah, so it's really interesting. I mentioned that you know the hospital had to file a certificate of need in order to be able to close these clinics and move. And um, so what I've learned again as a historian about this program is that it really came into existence when um, a lot of hospitals were starting to find that you know they were located in what ended up being you know after the 1960s when you had a lot of um, kind of white flight to the suburbs, and then um, in in many big cities, you also had riots in in city centers, kind of in the late 1960s, and so that then um, hospitals were ended up you know kind of located in these poor neighborhoods, and so um, you know decisions were being made to move hospitals out into to wealthier suburbs and leaving really a lot of um, kind of uh, 
big cities in the U.S. were potentially kind of slowly taking away health care, you know. So, I mean, this was happening in Chicago. This was happening, you know, in Baltimore and other cities. And so the Certificate of Need program came into being to really keep that from happening. So the idea behind the program was that you couldn't just say, well, we can no longer afford to keep this hospital open, and so we're going to move it out into the suburbs. And, you know, I don't know what's going to happen to these patients who who live here. Um, and, and so it becomes you know the problem of the hospital and so in some ways that does kind of create a connection between um, at least you know sort of on the state level kind of what's happening and kind of looking at what this means for the city in order to move these two clinics and my understanding also is that you know there is sort of this ongoing communication between um, you know the hospital and the city I mean you know we've kind of talked about the long history of the hospital wanting something and sort of trying to get the city to you know sort of support or advocate for that though I think that relationship is much more complex now um, and it's not you know the mayor of New Haven and um, the you know there's, yeah the CEO of the hospital having lunch like at the Yale Club anymore and so that um, so that there there is a little bit more kind of pushback um, against these kind of things. Gotcha. Well, I hope to God that this is <laughs> going to turn out ultimately in the benefit of the community. Yeah, certainly. Um, so another question that I have for you is as a practicing physician who has also studied um, these movements and these sort of dynamics between academic medical center and surrounding community. Um, And also having been a medical student, you know, in a city somewhat similar to here is, you know, what sort of words of wisdom do you leave medical students and residents or trainees in general with when it comes to their positionality in a space like Yelney Haven Hospital or Barnes Jewish. Yeah, I mean, I you know, this is something that um, that I am constantly thinking about myself as somebody who now works um, for Yale New Haven Hospital, sort of you know, accidentally. Um, that you know, to to really understand all the ways in which I am implicated in the system that I'm studying, and how sometimes, um, even though I go to work um, in my job as a pediatrician. And my goal really is to make a difference. What are the ways in which I'm constrained by the system that I'm working in um, mm-hmm. to maybe not always be able to do what I think is the right thing to do or the best thing to do for my um, patients? And so I think that um, you know you shouldn't have to get a PhD in the history of medicine in order to to learn about this kind of history, right? And it's not necessarily t- I mean I didn't learn any of these. I mean, I, and I don't just mean like the um, like the specifics about New Haven, but even the bigger picture, even thinking about a city and how a city comes to look the way that it does, where certain institutions are located, who gets to live where and what that means. It's not really something that you learn about unless you seek it out. And it's, and it's not something that anyone's going to necessarily teach you in medical school until things kind of really start to change. So, I mean, I, I do think it, that it's important for medical students to really try to the extent that they can to understand the context of the place in which, you know, they're seeing patients. So at Yale, um, you know, there's there's a lot that happens in the first year when um, students are doing anatomy mm-hmm. and um, they talk a lot about gratitude and um, being thankful to, I mean, at Yale they're called donors rather than cadavers, right? Um, to For the opportunity to learn something on the body of this individual, right? And that's really the, you know, 
it's the first time this conversation happens, but it's certainly not the last time that students are going to be learning medicine on someone else's body, but it's probably the last time that they're going to have a conversation about it. And so um, I, I think that, you know, sort of starting with that idea that, that, you know, I mean, we really are, I mean, everyone who is a physician has learned medicine on, on the bodies of other people, right? Mm -hmm. There's really no other way um, for that to happen. And so to understand all of the things that makes that possible, so really on a personal level, to rather than complain or to be, you know, to blame patients or whatever, to try to remember to be grateful, but then also like to just think structurally, right? What are all the things that um, create the situation that, you know, which is me sitting across the room from this patient and all of the things that go into there, you know, and that handout, you know, like, um, education, patient education, and providing someone with another handout or whatever is not necessarily the answer um, to, it's not that people don't necessarily need to know, but that we really need to, to think about, you know, how, um, how structurally we can make a difference in terms of health. Mm -hmm. And so then, from your perspective, what changes do you feel need to be made in medical education for this to become more mainstream? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that we need to um, stop sort of separating out some kind of science of medicine from some other stuff, and we need to recognize that all of this is medicine, that, um, you know, learning about this kind of history, learning, thinking about communities, the relationship between, um, you know, the, the kinds of places in which we practice and the, and the people who were, um, you know, whose health we're trying to improve, that all of that should really be sort of, you know, de facto part of of um, medical education. And I think that, you know, I think that there is a certain amount of stuff that can happen in a classroom, but then really what needs to happen is this sort of huge cultural change in medicine mm -hmm. where this is the kind of thing that we're talking about on rounds, that we don't, you know, sort of rush through the social history or whatever because we don't have time or we don't say things like, we don't have time for social issues today, like, you know, let's just figure out what antibiotic this patient needs. So that, <laughs> that it really, I mean, it's not enough to just teach about it in a classroom. You really need to, um, you really need to, like, throughout all four years of medical schools, prioritize social structure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your words of wisdom, and uh, um, I hope you enjoyed having this conversation. I certainly did. Yes, thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of Flip the Script. <laughs>